Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading today presents itself from 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 18. Hear now these words. Ahab told Jezebel, Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. And then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. And he looked and there set at his head was a cake baked on a hot stone and a jar of water. He ate and he drank and he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him and said, Get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank, and then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. At that place he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, what are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And he said, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And now there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I, I alone, am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. And then the Lord said to him, Go, 
Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shephat, of Abel-Mahalah, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah so kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
As we continue our Walks of Faith series today, we are reminded that faith itself is a journey, and sometimes that's a journey away from God, sometimes it's a journey toward the purposes of God, and every day we wake up hearing that one question just sung in that song uh, of God, where are you, and, and where are you going? We have over the last several weeks heard from the story about Abraham and Sarah leaving the land of Ur to go to the promised land and into the great uncertainty of life. And we've heard the stories here of Moses, who leads his people through the Red Sea and the turbulence and the chaos of life. And later, the, same, the story of that same character, Moses, coming down the mountain. For most of us, it's easy to go up the mountain and have those spiritual experiences, but to come down the mountain and have to face the complexities of humanity and the problems that humans create in the world like Moses did with the dancing around the golden calf story. And we've heard stories about these three characters uh, last week uh, from the book of Daniel who walked through the fire because of decisions and choices they made in order to follow God. And today you heard the story about Elijah who is called to walk out of the cave. And think about for a moment experiences in your life in which you maybe have reached a, a critical crossroads and you have to make a decision and those options in front of you don't look very good or you get broadsided by some dilemma or crisis in your life and the possibilities for getting out of those experiences are not particularly promising. It could be something like a job that is unrewarding or a relationship that is unraveling or a child who is struggling in your family, or an empty bank account, or a sudden diagnosis, and you're wondering, how am I going to get from uh, there to here, and then from here to there? And whatever that happens to be for you, uh, you, you know that you can't get through these experiences alone, and you need the help of God. And so, if you're like me, maybe you've had those moments when the time is right and you find the right words, maybe it's here in church, Maybe it's on a quiet hilltop somewhere. Maybe, I don't know, maybe it's in the sublime solitude of your BMW, for all that matters. But you say in these moments of quiet prayer, okay, God, I'm listening. I'm ready. Give me a sign. And then you wait. And then you wait. And it seems like that sign never quite appears for you. And you get frustrated because you think this is the way it's supposed to work. You ask for a sign, you get a sign. That is, isn't that often how it works in the Bible? Moses gets a burning bush. Isaiah gets this dramatic high-definition vision in the uh, sanctuary of dancing and singing angels. Um, Mary, down in Nazareth, gets a quiet visit from the angel Gabriel. The apostle Paul gets a bolt of lightning and you think any of those kinds of signs would, would be perfect right now in my life because I need some clarity, I need some answers, I need a sign. And you say, speak to me, God. And I think we've all been there in life. Every one of us has been at that crossroads where we're waiting for some clarity on which way to go or how to get through it. I remember nine and a half years ago or so when I got a call to come from San Diego to St. Andrew and having to make a decision with all that unanswered stuff in front of me and not knowing exactly if it was at the time the right decision or not. Asking for some sign, some clarity. When my father was 48 
and was diagnosed with terminal cancer and we, we, we fought you know, death from coming through the doorway for so long, but looking for a sign, right? I think all of us have experienced that. The late Frederick Beekner, he talked about a moment in his life in which his daughter was literally dying from anorexia. And the doctor said, you will die if you don't get treatment. And she refused this treatment. And Beekner, after so many failed attempts at trying to help his daughter, couldn't figure out a way to get through to her. And he was sitting one day in a parked car on the side of the road in desperation, afraid for his daughter, praying. When out of nowhere, this car comes down the highway. And that car has a license plate on it with the one word that Beekner says I needed most to hear in that moment. And that one word on that license plate was the word trust. Trust. And Beekner, looking back, says, what do you call a moment like that? Some kind of joke that life plays on you? Or is that the the word of God? And he says, maybe it's a little bit of both. But for me, he said it was an epiphany. And it turns out later that that car uh, happened to be uh, uh, driven by a bank trust officer who years later heard Beekner's story in an essay that he had written and tracked Beekner down, down and gave him that very license plate, which Beekner then put on his shelf as a holy relic. Uh, maybe God has a strange sense of humor, or maybe This is most often how God tends to speak to us. I know we would prefer burning bushes and thunderous voices from heaven. I personally, my preference would be just a message in the stars, like in bright neon with the very clear words on which way to go. But what we most often get instead are these experiences in which we can't hear much at all, the loaded silence of God that is laden with grace and power if we can hear it. And silence is not what any of us would want from God, because for us, silence sounds like the absence of God. It sounds like a bad thing. God is maybe even punishing us, but maybe what we have is a story today about how God brings us silence as a gift. The great poet T.S. Eliot He once asked that great question in one of his poems, where shall the word be found? Where will the word resound? And noting the silence and clatter of the the world, he answers his own question by saying, not here. There is not enough silence. In the silence of our lives, God speaks. In the silence of our desperation, and our doubts and our disillusionment, God is speaking. And that's what we hear in the story about Elijah. And his story does not require for any of us a stretch of the imagination, because I think for many of us it is our story. The prophet Elijah, he is in the moment of this story holed up in a cave on Mount Horeb. And this is an important place, not just the mountain itself, but this cave. Uh, Horeb is where, as we read a few weeks ago, the story of Moses 600 years earlier in this story, Moses was on Mount Horeb where he received the Ten Commandments and the law for the people. Uh, He also, that experience of Moses, claims to have been hidden in a cleft of the rock when the Lord passes by. And many of the ancient rabbis said that Elijah's cave 
is that very cleft in the rock. Elijah, in other words, is in this weird space where divine weirdness has happened before. And that's great for Elijah because Elijah is in this uh, Maalok's moment kind of life. Um, Elijah is on Queen Jezebel's uh, wanted dead or alive list. Uh, It's the year right around 900 BCE. That's before Christ, before the common era. Ahab at the time is king of Israel, and he's not a great king, in part because he's married Jezebel. And Jezebel on her own is not a bad person. It's easy because we often refer to angry women as Jezebels. That's not okay. This Jezebel, what makes her problematic is that she's simply a non-Jew. She's a foreigner. And as a foreigner, she worships the, uh, the god of Baal, this religion Baalism. And Baalism was a pagan religion that worshipped the mysterious life force in all of nature. And all of Baalism's rituals and ceremonies were directed toward these fertility gods, which meant these, uh, these rituals and ceremonies got a little, how do you say this, they got a little carnal in nature, which was a very scandalous thing for the Jews. And Jezebel is so devoted to her religion of Baal that she marries Ahab, moves into the palace, and brings with her 800 of the prophets and priests of Baal. And this is a major problem for King Ahab because we have this commandment that says, you shall worship no God but Yahweh. And here we have these 800 pagan preachers living in the basement. Mark Twain once said that preachers are a lot like cow manure. When there's a whole lot of them together, they raise a big stink. And here we have 800 of them living in the basement of Ahab's palace, raising a stink. And so Elijah is this prophet, and a prophet's job, it's not to predict the future, it's to tell the truth in the present. And so Elijah tells King Ahab that there is on its way a national drought that's going to wipe out the country unless Ahab kicks these guys out. But two years go by and these house guests haven't left and the drought is strangling the nation. And so Elijah takes matters into his own hands. He slaughters all 800 of those pagan house guests living in his basement. You can read chapter 18 to get the story. But when Jezebel hears about this, She sends Elijah a little text message. It says, by tomorrow, you're as dead as fried chicken, right? And that's when Elijah goes and hides in a cave because Jezebel's headhunters are on the way and he wants to die. He wants to die before they kill him. And you hear the story and it cries out for a sign from God. This is the moment. Give us a sign. And we wait for it and it comes. It says in this passage, there was a great wind, so strong that it split rocks in two. And having come from Southern California in the Santa Ana winds, I know something about powerful winds. But it says here, God wasn't in the winds. And it says, after the winds, there was a great earthquake. And I come from Southern California. (laughs) And, uh, And yeah, but this is not the sign either. 
And it says, after the earthquake, there was a fire. And did I tell you, I'm from Southern California, and we have fires. But it's, we're looking for the sign, but none of these are the sign. And we wonder if God is in any of this. And it says, after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Some translations have different phrases here. One says, a sound, quiet, thin. Another says, it's a gentle whisper. Another, a still, small voice. You've heard that. Have you ever had a still, small voice experience? A moment of epiphany and quiet. What the story tells us is that not only is it a myth to believe that God only speaks to the big and loud things in life, but actually, maybe it's those big and loud things that conceal the hidden, gentle, soft voice of God. We are addicted to noise. Have you ever noticed you walk down the, um, the shopping mall where you jump into an elevator and it, we just fill that silence with music? Have you ever found yourself having a conversation with someone that gets, it gets kind of awkward and so you, you fill it with small talk about the weather or whatever? It's because we fear silence. But if we fear the silence that's around us, we're most likely to miss these quiet whispers of God. And for Elijah, the silence is the sign. And as he hears this crazy silence, he goes outside to the mouth of the cave and he listens. And in that silence, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Did you know that every day of our lives we get out of bed and that's the question we have to answer? That's God's question of us. What are you doing here today? If, uh, if God didn't already know, Elijah goes through the, the long, long list of things that he's done. He does it twice if you heard it. He says to God, I got a little crazy. I wiped out Jezebel's secret service. It's over, Lord. I am the last remnant of your faithful people. There is no one left but me. It's all over. And Elijah's pathetic list of all the things he's done for God that makes him so special, it reminds me of that line from Anne Lamott who said, what's the difference between you and God? God never thinks he's you right? Did you hear what God tells Elijah? He says at the mouth of the cave, this is the whole point of the story. This is the point of the silence. God says, get back to work. God gives him things to do that only he can do. It's, It's only in the silence that Elijah can finally hear that God is God and he is not. Could it be that the noise that we often surround ourselves with actually ends up concealing and exaggerating the pains and the fears, the God complexes, the worries and regrets that we carry around with us? And could it be that the silence that we try to ignore and avoid is in the end the only real doorway into discovering who we are and why we're here and how we're doing and how everything doesn't actually depend on me or you? The story says we spent a lot of time in Elijah's cave with him. That cave looks a lot different for each of us based on any given moment we're in. 
But we usually enter that cave with Elijah whenever we experience failure or whenever we are afraid. And it usually looks a lot like what it looked like for Elijah. Loneliness, a sense of worthlessness, a sense of rejection and breakdown and burnout and self-doubt and self-pity and self-importance. And like Elijah, we can talk ourselves into believing that nobody sees us and nobody understands us and nobody needs us anymore and nobody appreciates us. And then we start to believe that all these things like the wind and the shaking earth beneath our feet and the fires that are consuming us, we think those are all the signs. When God is really at the mouth of the cave and the sign is the silence and the silence is the gateway to hearing the voice of God. And that voice of God is almost always quiet and rarely is it very audible But what it says to us is what it says to Elijah, that just when you think you are done, you've just begun. And the poet Emily Dickinson, she asked the question, how many flowers fail in wood or perish from the hill without the privilege to know that they're beautiful? And whenever we find ourselves in Elijah's cave, overwhelmed and overcome, if we go to where the silence is, we'll hear the promises. Philip Simmons was a great, he's a, he's a great college professor in his mid-30s, he's a father, a, a person of great faith, and then he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and he wrote this little wonderful memoir, Learning to Fall. And in that, he recalls having just graduated from college, and he hitchhikes to um, Nevada, where he joins a religious commune for a week to learn how to pray and meditate. And at the end of that long week, he takes this hike up to a mountaintop, about 13,000 feet, uh, where there are these bristlecone pines more than 5,000 years old. And he ascends there to 13,000 feet, and he thinks to himself, if there's ever a place in the world that God's going to speak to me, it's going to be here. And so he sits down, he leans up against an old, ancient tree, and he prepares to meditate. He crosses his legs, straightens his spine, begins to do his rhythmic breathing. He closes his eyes and he waits and he waits and he waits and nothing comes. Except, he says, this little itch way down on his back. And he tries hard to ignore it. He practices his breathing, but the itch becomes more of a tickle. And then it was suddenly climbing up his back between his shoulder blades and it began to torment him and his whole meditation was ruined. The whole mission was foiled and there he finds himself standing up and taking off his shirt and throwing it to the ground and there he sees an ant that had been crawling up his back. He said he had gone to look and wait for a miracle and it turns out that the ant was the miracle. And looking back, he says, only now, years later, have I come to understand the importance of the ant in our lives. He says, this ant returned him to the world, returned him to another way of worship, as he says, the way of ordinary things, small and imperfect. That ant, he said, was my messenger, 
to get back to the world. And that's the point of Elijah's story, and I think ours. God speaks most often through the imperfect, ordinary, small things like silence and friends and worship, the singing of hymns and sacraments, silence and ants, gentle whispers. And what I have come to understand is that when I can't hear anything from God, it's usually because I'm listening to the wrong voices or I'm just not listening at all. Today's takeaways, divine signs are revealed everywhere in every moment. They're most often hidden in small, ordinary, and imperfect things. And to see them, close both eyes and see with your other one. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.